Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Before we bring you Edward Arnold as Mr. President, I want to point out that there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of Americans who have become the leaders of our country. Generation after generation of American men and women have found their greatest inspiration in the lives of the presidents of the United States. Their deeds are direction pointers for the American mind. People today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting, and inspiring facts about the lives of their former chief executives. That's why Mr. President has rapidly caught the attention of people everywhere. For here is the program that presents human, intimate anecdotes and incidents in the careers of our presidents, woven into the rich tapestry that is the American heritage. And you, as the listener, enjoy the additional thrill of trying to identify the president in the story being told. So test your knowledge of the men who have lived in the White House by listening now for this fascinating Mr. President story. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer, and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, hello. Sit down, won't you? You know, most of us picture justice as blindfolded, holding the scales in the hand but I like to think that justice really has her eyes open. It's hard enough to judge a man even when you can see. And it's just as important to find the punishment to fit the crime as it is to find a man guilty. Justice always has to consider the spirit as well as the letter of the law. For instance, there was once a man who was judged guilty. His life was at stake. And a president had to balance the scales of justice. Later on, of course, I'll tell you who that president was. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. It was during a period of mounting diplomatic tension when we were on the verge of war. At the moment, one of the most pressing problems was the budget. A proposed tax bill was on my desk, and the Secretary of the Treasury, Oliver Wolcott, was waiting to discuss it with me. And uh, here are two more letters for you to sign, Mr. President. Uh-huh. You think I'd better read them first, Miss Sarah? You've just dictated them to me this morning, sir. Hmm? Oh, well, let me see. Was I in a good mood this morning? Why, of course, in an excellent mood. Well, then I guess I couldn't have changed my mind in the meantime. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Well, there you are, Miss Sarah. Thank you, sir. Shall I send Mr. Walcott in? Yes, please do. That's the most important business on the agenda today. Very well, sir. 
Mr. Wolcott, the president will see you. Thank you, Rosetta. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Oliver. I've been looking over the new tax bill here. Oh, good. Mr. President, I'm sure it's the simplest and most direct way of raising the necessary funds to support the army. Well, I'm satisfied that it is, too. But let me see. It calls for two-tenths of one percent on every house valued from one hundred to five hundred dollars on houses valued over one thousand two percent. Hmm. Well, it sounds all right. Do you think it might be a little high? Oh, we've reduced it to the absolute minimum, sir. And you realize, of course, how imperative the tax is. Oh, I know, I know. I'm in complete agreement with you. But we need the money right away, and it's going to take a lot of time assessing the value of each house. We've devised an expeditious method, sir. Yeah. The assessors will simply count the number and measure the size of the windows of each house. Windows? Yes. Uh, houses with few and small windows will be rated lower. Uh-huh. Well, I guess that's fair enough. After all, the man who can afford a lot of windows in his house can afford to pay a higher tax. <laughs> but just between us, Oliver, you'd better start counting windows right away before everybody starts boring them up. <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. President. Our assessors are ready to go into the field immediately. All that is necessary to start them off is your signature. Well, I won't, I won't hold you up any longer. Uh, yeah, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, good day, Mr. President. Good day, Oliver. Good day. Good day, Miss Sarah. Good day, Mr. Wolcott. Uh, may I see you for a moment, Mr. President? Yes, come right in, Miss Sarah. Come right in. I'll have some memoranda here from the Secretary of War and the Secretary of State, sir. Oh, thank you. Well. The situation is very grave, isn't it? Oh, I'm afraid it is, Miss Sarah. We're practically at war already, and we need the money desperately. The only way we can raise it is by taxes and more taxes. And, Miss Sarah, did you ever know anybody who wanted to pay more taxes? Evening, Jenny. Oh, hello, John. Come in. Sit down. I got just a minute. Is Peter home? Peter? John. John Freeze. Oh, I'll be right there. What do you think about them new taxes, Jenny? <laughs> I've got a big kettle of boiling water sitting on the back of the stove, just waiting for the first man that tries to measure my windows. <laughs> Good. Keep it boiling. I will. Don't you worry. Oh, how are you, John? Hello, Peter. Oh, excuse me, John. I got a bed for children. Oh, yes. Well, I haven't seen you for six or seven weeks, John. I've been holding auctions upstate. Dropped uh-huh. over to see how you were. And what you think of them new Taxes? Taxes? I'll tell you what I think of them. They come around here collecting, I'll set my dogs on them. Uh-huh. And what good's that going to do? What? Well, don't tell me you're in favor of these here taxes. I'm an auctioneer, and I like to see people spend money when they're going to get something for it. Well, I've paid more than enough taxes already. And what am I getting for it? Don't help to grow any crops. But, John, you haven't said yet, are you for or are you against these taxes? I'm against them, of course. They won't start raising taxes, there'll be no end to it. We've all been bled enough as it is. We won't stand for a lot of strangers poking their noses in our windows. Yeah, but you said setting my dogs on them was no good, and why? Well, just you alone won't do much good, Peter. But we got to do something. we got to stop them. Well, Peter, that's why I came here to talk to you. Hmm? We don't have to pay them taxes if we don't want to. Well, how? What are we going to do? I got a plan. You and me and some of the other boys will cover four counties. Montgomery, Bucks, Lehigh, and Burks. Mm-hmm. We'll get everybody to sign up, protesting the tax. Uh, a piece of paper. Sure, sure, but we'll show them what we mean by that paper. We'll personally tell each and every assessor just what we think about his taxes. And if we have to, we'll run them right out of the country. <laughs> 
President, Senator Johns to see you. Oh, thank you, Monsieur. Uh, come in, Senator. Come in. Thank you, Mr. President. Well, what are you against today, Senator Johns? I beg your pardon. Well, when the senator from the opposition comes to visit me personally, I naturally assume that he's going to oppose me on something. I beg to differ with you, sir. You see what I mean? <laughs> you must admit, there is one thing we agree upon, Mr. President. Arguments on a strictly partisan basis do nobody any good. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, Senator. Then I assume that you've come to agree with me on something? Uh, well, sir, the truth is I have come to... <laughs> so I wasn't wrong in the first place. <laughs> Seriously, sir, you made a great mistake in approving the new tax bill. Oh, I did? Unquestionably. But it's not too late, sir. If you refuse to enforce it, no harm will be done. Oh, just a minute, Senator. I happen to agree with this tax bill. But, Mr. President, I should like to say And not that... only that, even if I didn't agree with it, it's now the law of the land and it's my duty to enforce it. Is it your duty to cause trouble, sir? Who said anything about trouble? I don't know exactly what you think about the people of our country, but I think they have conducted themselves through a long period of stress and sacrifice... With great courage and fortitude. There's no doubt about it. I believe that too, Senator. In that case, do you expect them to stand by and meekly submit to a further burden? Burden? Senator, you seem to forget one thing. Taxes are less of a burden for the people than defeat in a war. Provoking trouble here at home isn't going to help us in a war. I'm afraid, Senator Johns, you aren't fully aware of just how dangerous our situation is. No matter how troublesome it may be to collect these taxes... That will be nothing compared to the kind of trouble we can expect if we don't collect them. So you see, good people of Milford, all we had to do was to show them soup and assessors we didn't want them here, and they ran so fast the like is not all the way up to Quebec by now. Now, since we helped you folks... Maybe you'll join us and help us run them out of Lehigh the same way. Here are some reports from Pennsylvania, Mr. President. They're not very promising. They're not, eh? Well, let me see them, Miss Sarah. In some of the counties, there's been organized intimidation of the tax collectors. Oh, there are always a few hotheads, Miss Sarah, but I'm confident that the majority of the people understand the necessity of this tax and will abide by the law of the land. The marshal's taken some of our men prisoners. What? Yes, they, they put them in jail over in Bethlehem. Bethlehem? Well, what are we waiting for? Come on, Peter. Get the men together. Let's go. Friends! Friends, listen to me! Friends, this is the third day I've been out on this expedition. I had a skirmish yesterday, and if the prisoners are not released, I'll have another one today. Now, you observe that force is necessary. All right, but you must obey orders. We will not go without taking the prisoners from the jail. And these are my orders. You must not fire first. You must first be fired upon. And when I'm gone, you must do as well as you can, for I expect to be the first man that falls. Uh, yes, Miss Sarah. The Secretary of Treasury, Mr. Wolcott, to see you, sir. Oh, come in, Mr. Wolcott. Come in. Oh, Mr. President, I, 
Hope you've looked over the reports I sent you on the situation in Pennsylvania. I have, and you know, Oliver, the resistance there is still of a local nature, but it's disturbing just the same. Disturbing? That's an understatement, sir. Perhaps, but Oliver, in a way, I think it's our fault. I wonder if the tax has been properly explained to those people in Pennsylvania. My department has used every means, sir, to acquaint the public with the purposes as well as the details of the new tax. Now, don't get excited. Don't get excited. I'm not accusing you. I'm sure you've done everything you could. Actually, I'm not too surprised that there have been complaints. Taxes are a universal complaint, aren't they? But, Mr. President, these are no longer ordinary complaints. First, there were threats and intimidation, then violence, and then more violence. And now, sir, it's nothing less than a rebellion. That's a strong word, Mr. Secretary. It's a strong fact, sir. If we don't take some action now, it can get completely out of hand. It can grow into an insurrection threatening the foundations of our nation. You really think it's as bad as that? Mr. President... I cannot answer for the consequences unless you use the power of your office to stop John Freeze and his partisans. Stop them? How? With force. Force? Are you suggesting that we send the militia against our own people? What other choice have you, Mr. President? In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Now a word about the current Crusade for Children campaign. This campaign is being sponsored by American Overseas Aid, United Nations Appeal for Children. And in giving this project official White House endorsement, President Truman recently stated, the United States government is doing what it can to promote the economic rehabilitation of a number of countries. Through American Overseas Aid, the American people have an opportunity to back this policy with the voluntary support for private agencies which have proven their effectiveness in the field. I am convinced the American people are determined that the world's children shall have at least a chance to survive. And I know of no better way of transforming that determination into action than by supporting American Overseas Aid and the United Nations Appeal for Children. So, save a child, save the future, by giving generously today to your local Crusade for Children campaign. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Perhaps you've already guessed who the president was in this story, but don't forget, trouble over taxes is no novelty in American history, and many of our presidents have had to cope with public displeasure on this score. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which one this was. Resentment flared into repeated acts of violence in Pennsylvania, and a local incident seemed to be in danger of spreading into a national threat. Here are the latest reports from the Secretary of Treasury, sir. Mm, my, oh, my, they're still at it, Miss son. I'm afraid Mr. Wolcott's right. The situation can get out of hand if we don't check it. Well, it's mostly in Pennsylvania, isn't it? Yes, I was hoping that once those people got it off their chest, they'd settle down. But they're making more of a commotion than ever, resorting to arms. Well, I hate to do it, but I'm going to have to issue a proclamation to the militia to disperse the rioters and suppress this insurrection. <laughs> the house of John Freeze? I'm Mrs. Freeze. You want to speak to your husband, Mrs. Freeze? Where is he? I, 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 I don't know. Your husband is charged with a serious crime. Any attempt to conceal his whereabouts would only make you guilty as an accessory. 
To be sure, we'll find him anyway. I told you I don't know where John is. Please, the, the children are asleep. No use, Anna. There's no hiding from men such as these. What do they care if children are sleeping, if honest, hard-working people try to defend them? John Freeze, you're under arrest. Yes, I know. And the serious crime you talk about. Is it a serious crime for a citizen to stand up for his home, his wife, and his children? Is this a crime or a duty? This trial of John Freeze will only be a mockery of justice, Mr. President. You must do something about it. What do you suggest I do about it? John Freeze is being accused of treason. At the very worst, his offense, the consequence, I must add, of great provocation, amounted only to riot. John Freeze is no more guilty of treason than you or I. You know what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to abuse my office of President of the United States and tell a court of law how they should judge a man. Senator, whether or not John Freeze is guilty of a crime, and what that crime is cannot be judged by either you or me, but only by a duly constituted court of law. crime of which you have been found guilty is treason. A crime considered in the most civilized countries in the world as the greatest crime that any man can commit. The end of all punishment is example. What remains for me is a very painful duty. It is to pronounce the judgment of the law. This court does award that you be hanged by the neck until dead. And I pray to God Almighty to be merciful to your soul. Mr. President, I am fully aware of the fact that my pleas on behalf of John Freeze have met with little sympathy from you. If I remember correctly, Senator Johns, you didn't ask me for sympathy. You asked me to take action. Yes, I asked you to take action, which would have prevented an outrage against justice. You still have a chance, however, to alleviate this grievous mistake. I bring you a petition from John Freeze. He asks for mercy, Mr. President. You'll find, added to this petition, many other signatures of those who urge you just as earnestly as I to pardon John Freeze. Thank you, Senator. I shall study this petition most carefully. Sir, I would like to remind you of one other thing. John Freeze has been convicted of treason because he protested against certain taxes. Let us not forget that our own revolution was fought because we objected to what we considered an improper taxation. I must point out to you, Senator Johns, that the cases are not entirely similar. However, I appreciate your sincere interest in this matter, and thank you very much for speaking to me as frankly as you have done. Good day, Senator Johns. Good day, Mr. President. Good day, Mr. Good day, Senator Johns. Mr. President, shall I send Mr. Wolcott in? Yes, and have him come in, please, Miss Sarah. Hello, Mr. President. Hello, Oliver. I am happy to report, sir, that the collection of taxes is now proceeding without any interruption. It is, huh? The conviction of John Freeze served its purpose as an example. Oliver, I have here a petition from John Freeze and many of his defenders. They want me to pardon him. Pardon? 
Oh, I beg you, sir, to consider this matter not as an isolated case, but as an issue of far-reaching importance to the future of our entire government. I assure you, Mr. Secretary, that I will consider it as such. And thank you very much. Good day. Good day, Mr. President. Good day, Miss Sutherland. Goodbye, Mr. Secretary. Uh, Mr. President. Yes, Miss Sutherland. There's a woman outside who would like to speak to you, sir. Oh, yes? Her name is Mrs. John Freeze. Mrs. John Freeze? Well, I suppose I'd better see you, Miss Sarah. Have her come in, please. Yes, sir. Mrs. Freeze, the president will see you now. Thank you, my dear. Mr. President, uh, this is Mrs. John Freeze. How do you do, Mrs. Freeze? Won't you sit down, please? Mr. President, I'll only take a minute of your time. Now, please go ahead, Mrs. Freeze. My husband has been sentenced to die. Yes, I know. They say that he's committed a great crime... Mr. President, I don't know what that crime is. I don't know what my husband is guilty of. I can't say whether he was right or wrong in what he did. But I can say that he did what he did because he believed in it. They call it treason, sir. I know of no man who has a greater love for his country. But then, these are all things that perhaps are beyond my understanding... One thing I do know. We have children, Mr. President. My husband is a good father. I ask you one question. Will this great country of ours gain more by taking John's life than will be lost by my children if their father is hanged? You expect me to answer that question, Mrs. Freeze? Somebody should answer it, sir. My dear lady, believe me, I understand how you must feel. But I must remind you also, I have not passed judgment upon your husband. That was done by the proper authority, a court of law. I hope you understand what I am trying to say, Mrs. Freeze. I think I do, sir. Thank you for listening to me. I'm disappointed in only one thing. I wanted someone to tell me how John could have hurt his country so much that his country would want to kill him. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. President. Goodbye, Mrs. Freeze. Oh, Mr. President, that poor woman... Miss Sarah, how can I be objective in this matter? And you're crying, too, and I don't blame you. But I can't afford to let my emotions make a decision as important as this one. The sentence is to be carried out Friday. There isn't much time. Sir. Yes, I know, Miss Sarah. I've got to make up my mind before the cabinet meeting on Thursday. I don't know just what I'm going to Uh, gentlemen, uh, gentlemen of the cabinet, a certain domestic incident has become uh, an issue of national importance, and it demands an immediate solution. I refer, of course, to the case of John Freeze. Mr. President. Yes, Mr. Wolcott. I feel sure that I speak for the entire cabinet when I say that that problem has already been satisfactorily solved. Yes, yes uh, gentlemen, I know how you feel, and I share your abhorrence to insurrection of any kind. But you must know, however, that I have been petitioned for clemency that there are some who question the decision of the court and feel that the sentence has been unduly harsh. Mr. President, John Freeze was convicted of the crime of treason. There is no punishment too harsh for treason. I agree with you, Mr. Wolcott. There is no question about that. What is treason? Our Constitution says, treason shall consist in levying war against the United States or in aiding or abetting her enemies. I ask myself, has John Freeze made war upon the United States? He has no There is no question but that he violated the law, but I cannot help but ask, is John Freeze a traitor? I also can't ask, 
what, what example could, we, could be exhibited to the nation by the execution of one obscure, impetuous man? Will this great country of ours gain more by taking the life of John Freeze than will be lost by his children if their father be hanged? I do not wish that the ineffectual defiance of a tax law be regarded as an example of treason. I therefore proclaim as President of the United States of America a full, free, and absolute... A full, free, and absolute pardon to John Freeze. President? Yes, Senator. Uh, Senator Johns is here, sir. Oh, come in, Senator. Come in, please. I was just talking about you. Uh, Mrs. Freeze, this is Senator Johns. Congratulations, Mrs. Freeze. Oh, Senator, I can't tell you how grateful I am to you. Why, uh, thank you, Mrs. Freeze, but The really... President has told me how you stood up for my husband. Oh, well, I... Well, thank you. Well, it was easy for me to speak up for him. But, Mrs. Freeze, I don't know whether you realize it or not. It took great courage for the President to make his decision in the face of vigorous opposition from his entire cabinet and practically his entire party. Now, wait a minute, Senator, wait a minute. Let's leave my party out of this. The point is, if you hadn't kept after me the way you did, I might have heard only one side of the story. And I thank you for that. You are thanking me? Yes, sir. Well, that's very nice. And... uh... Unusual, sir. I'm not finished yet, Senator. You can't take all the credit, you know. What really decided me was this lady here. She made me realize that John Freeze, guilty of one charge, might have become the victim of another, and that our country had more to lose than to gain by persecuting a citizen who was certainly rash, but nonetheless human. <laughs> probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know. And I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Among the great names of Broadway is the Theater Guild, symbol of fine and distinctive entertainment. Plays produced under the banner of the Theater Guild represent the finest in Mazda Lane. And the same high degree of showmanship and theatrical know-how is brought to its ABC radio program, Theater Guild on the Air. Every Sunday night, you have a front row seat by your radio to great dramatizations. And in case you'd like to know a few of the inside facts about Theater Guild on the Air, here are some interesting ones. During its radio career, Theater Guild on the Air has been witnessed by more than 100,000 persons. It has won more awards than any other dramatic program on the air. Don't miss Theater Guild tonight when it's heard over most of these same ABC stations. Now here again is Edward Arnold. time of this story was 1798 to 1800, and the president then was John Adams. When war with France seemed imminent, the federal government endeavored to raise $2 million by a special levy, including a house tax based on the number and size of the windows. An auctioneer named John Freeze led Arid Pennsylvanians in armed opposition against the tax assessors. The Freeze Rebellion was also called the Hot Water Rebellion, and it was so named because of the angry housewives who poured scalding water upon the heads of the tax collectors. Against the unanimous opposition of his cabinet, John Adams pardoned with Freeze, which far from weakening the strength of the government, 
gave the people a deeper confidence in it. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Homecoming, starring Clark Gable and Lana Turner. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Milton Merlin was suggested by incidents in the administration of President John Adams. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adler. sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations brings you Edward Arnold in another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.